Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. We'll be continuing our, our study and our journey through the book of Genesis. This morning we're going to be looking at the birth of Isaac. So if you would read with me, picking up in verse 1 of Genesis 21, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah, and he had said, um, And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad, that the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offering or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me 
and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of the well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called the place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Fickle, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. And so, Father, this morning, would you just honor the reading of your word? God, would you just go before us in these few short minutes? Would you speak and would you minister to us, Lord? Give us ears to hear. Lord, give us hearts, Lord, to receive from you. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or its falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. You see, it's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong as long as you're using it to, you know, cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted that piece of rope? You see, we've, we've been watching Abraham on this journey. You know, in chapter 20, we saw Abraham leave the area of Hebron and headed south to the Negev, we would call it, the dry south. And we saw last week that it, it caused a few problems for Abraham. See, Abraham has left the area. He has left the direction of the promised land. We could say he's left the area of spirituality, that he has moved away from the Lord. And this caused Abraham to lie to Abimelech. You know, and oftentimes when we move away from the Lord, when we move away from his promises, it oftentimes leads to disaster. But you see, as we come into chapter 21 this morning, chapter 21 marks a distinction, a transition in the life of Abraham, a turning point for him. You see, started in chapter 21, we never again hear of Abraham doubting God. We never hear of him again turning from the Lord. You know, we're going to see Abraham become a man of faith. You know, and this should give us hope. At least I know it does me. You know, that we can grow, that we can mature in our faith, that we can learn lessons and be obedient unto the Lord. Anyone else find it 
difficult to take instructions? Who else has bought something and immediately opened the package and throw away those useless pieces of paper? And an hour later, you find yourself digging through the trash to recover those instructions because what you just assembled looks nothing like the picture on the box. Is it just me? All right. I do it all the time. (laughs) It's difficult for us to take instructions. But you see, Abraham for us becomes an example of faith. It becomes for us hope that even we can learn and grow and trust the Lord. Well, this morning as we jump into our text, we have six points, six things we want to look at and consider this morning. So if you are a note taker this morning, we have six things to consider. And the first thing we see in verses one and two, that is the promise of the Lord. The promise of the Lord. Verses one and two says, and the Lord visited Sarah and he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age and at the set time of which God had spoken to him. You see, God said he would return to Abraham at the appointed time. At the time of life, he said. We could say about the time of pregnancy, about nine months. You see, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 10, he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. God said that he would be returning. God said that he was going to come back to Abraham and Sarah at the time of life. You know, in fact, three times in these two verses, God did what he said he was going to do. Right? He visited Abraham and Sarah as he said that he would that he did for Sarah as he had spoken, and that Sarah conceived and bore a son as he had promised. Three times in these two verses, God confirms that he did exactly what he said he was going to do. So listen, if God says it, you can count on it. God is always true to his word, and we can always rest in his promises. You know, you, uh, you can't break God's promises by leaning on them. If God says it, we can count on it. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Psalm 105 verse 42 says, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So God has made promises and he is making good on those promises. But I do see here, at least for me, a problem with the promises of God. 
This indicates for me a problem with the promises of God. And that's that they happen at his timing, at his appointed time. Not ours. It's his timing. This is too often a problem for us, is it not? That we want to operate and we want to work on our own timetable. Not on God's. We tend to be a very impatient people. 2 Peter 3, 8 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is to a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. See, we sometimes feel like we've been waiting on God for a thousand years. Feels like an eternity, and God's up there going, eh, it's only been like a day. Calm down. Relax. If I said it, you can count on it. You see, it's not that we have a problem believing the promises of God. Our problem is often, when are they going to happen? How long is this going to take? How long do I have to wait? No one likes waiting, right? We live in a microwave generation, right? If your food is cold, stick it in that box, nuke it for a couple seconds, you're good. If you need something, no big deal, two-day shipping from Amazon, you'll have it in no time. If you don't know something, just Google it. Right? We're, we're kind of programmed and we're used to just having things right away. And so often when it comes to the Lord and it comes to our spirituality, God is saying, I need you to wait. I need you to hold on. I need you to be patient. Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 15 tell us, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he, Abraham, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. See, the writer to Hebrews tells us that Abraham patiently endured the promises of God. Abraham had to wait 25 years before Isaac was born. So, why does it seem like God is always taking his time? Why does it always seem like God is waiting to fulfill his promises? You know, I think oftentimes God prolongs his promises because he wants to strengthen us. He wants to grow us. He wants to mature, mature us. Right? Everyone's favorite verse in James 1, verse 2. Right? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, we're so used to getting everything right away. But God says, no, you need patience 
to accomplish that perfect work. So you'll be lacking nothing. You see, the question is, is do we have faith in God? And if we do, we'll be able to see past our present circumstances into what God is going to do. You see, that's what Abraham had to do. He had to look past the current situation and look forward to what God was going to do. And as we come into chapter 22, as we consider this chapter, we're seeing Abraham experiencing the promises of God. And what we have to consider is it took 25 years of Abraham patiently waiting before that promise was fulfilled. So that brings us to our second point. We said there were six of them. The first is the promise of the Lord. The second is the obedience to the Lord. The obedience to the Lord. Look at verses three and four. And Abraham called the, the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Abraham is obedient to the Lord. You see, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 19, God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. God said, you're going to have a son through Sarah, and you're going to call his name Isaac. In verse 12 of that same chapter, it says, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant. And so what do we see in verses 3 and 4? We see Abraham being obedient unto the Lord. God said, you're going to call his name Isaac. So what does Abraham call his son? Isaac. God says that when your child is eight days old, he'll be circumcised. And what does it say in verse 4? That Abraham circumcised his son. You see, it's a small point, but I think it's an important one. Abraham is obedient unto the Lord. Do we want to be obedient to our Lord? I hope so. I know I do. I want to be obedient unto him. The truth is, is being obedient to the Lord, it's not hard. It's not tough. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Being obedient unto the Lord is impossible in and of ourselves. You see, if we're going to try and go at this on our own, in our own flesh, in our own power, in our own strength, we can't do it. We will fail if we're using our own resources. I mean, just look at Abraham and Sarah as our example. They tried it their way, it didn't work. You see, we need help. We want to be obedient to the Lord. We want to obey him. But how can we obey God? 
Romans 1, verses 5 and 6, says, Through him, being Jesus, through Jesus we have received grace and and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus we have received faith. We have received grace to be obedient unto the Lord. John 1.16 says, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Grace upon grace. That idea that, that God keeps bestowing his grace upon us. It is always and continual. You know, the the first duty of every soul is not to find its freedom, but to find its master. You see, the truth is, is we're going to obey someone. We're going to be obedient unto something. The question we have to ask is, what is it we're being obedient to? Is it our flesh? Is it the world? Or is it the Lord? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. Let us consider what Joshua said, right? We all know the verse, right? Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, right? What did Joshua say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I think this is a question that we all have to ask ourselves. We all have to consider this morning. Who are we serving? Who are we endeavoring to be obedient to? Abraham and Sarah decided to be obedient unto the Lord. God said we're going to name him Isaac, so that's what we're going to name him. God said to circumcise on the eighth day, so that's what we're going to do. Well, let's move on to our third point, and that is the joy because of the Lord. The joy because of the Lord. Verses 5 through 7 say, Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. The joy because of the Lord. You see, back in chapter 18 of Genesis, in verse 22, we see Sarah laughing. But she laughed out of doubt, right? We remember the story. It was like a, (laughs) yeah, right, like I'm going to have a kid at 90 years old. That she laughs. But here, in chapter 21, we see Sarah laughing out of joy. Laughing out of joy. Why? Why? Because the promise of God has been fulfilled. But they are experiencing God coming through on his promise. 
Why is there so much joy in Abraham and Sarah's life? Because they believe. Because they believe in the promises of God. Because God is faithful. So why is this so important for us? I mean, after all, we're not the ones having children at 190 years old. I mean, have you ever considered that? Can you imagine at 100 years old trying to chase your toddler around? I mean, I'm in my mid-30s and I'm having a hard time with it. Imagine Abraham at 100, Sarah at 90 years old nursing her child. Why is this so important? Because when we believe the promises of God, when we know in our hearts that he is faithful, that we can trust him completely, it produces joy in our lives. It produces joy. So let me ask you this this morning. Are you someone who is recognized by the joy in your life? Because you believe the promises of God, because you can trust in him completely? Listen, even in the current circumstances, you know, I don't know all the things that you have going on in your life, just like you don't know the things that I have going on in my life. But regardless of what those things are, we can trust in him. We can put our faith in him and that he is faithful. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, sorry, though you, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is unexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says, even though we don't see it, we believe, and that belief produces joy in our life. He says, joy inexpressible. Filled with glory. Because the obtaining, the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Paul says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Do we have joy? This joy that Abraham and Sarah are experiencing because we put our faith and our trust in him, because we believe in the promises of God? What are the points in your life that you can look back on and see the faithfulness of God? You see, as we consider this chapter, as we consider that Isaac is being born, right, that God is fulfilling his promises in their lives, right, that this is going to stand as a testimony in Abraham and Sarah's life that God is faithful, that God is trustworthy, and that they can be obedient unto him because of that faithfulness. You see, when, when we face difficulties, when life throws us a curveball, when 
the future is uncertain, we need to be able to turn to the Lord and remember his faithfulness. We need to remember his faithfulness in the past to know that he will be faithful in the future. Right? And that's why I asked the question, what are those points? What are those experiences in your life that you can look back on and say, it was then that I saw the faithfulness of God. It was there where God proved that he was trustworthy in my life. You know, for me, when I was getting ready to finish up Bible college, I was uh, getting ready for my fourth semester and I didn't have the funds to go back. I couldn't pay for my fourth semester. But God provided. Right? The school called and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll show up. I'll go. I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but I'll go. And what I didn't know is that earlier that winter, I was in a car accident. Nobody was hurt, but it totaled my car. Interestingly enough, it was, it was a car that Pastor Dean had given to me that I could kind of bomb around in over the winter in between semesters. And it just so happened that after I bought a plane ticket to go back out to California that the insurance adjuster came out and valued my car and sent me a check for the exact amount I needed to finish paying for my tuition. See, that to me is a memorial stone in my life where God was faithful. And if he was faithful then, why won't he be faithful in the future? Right? You know, when... when Emily and I were trying to start a family, right? It didn't go the way we planned. It didn't happen on the timetable we wanted. But God provided, did he not? I mean, you can hear him over there squeaking. And he's over there as a testimony to the faithfulness of God. that I can stand here this morning and tell you that he is faithful and that you can trust in him. And that that faithfulness should produce joy in our lives. And I'm telling you for me, that is joy right there. You see, these are memorial stones, proof evidence in my life that I serve a God who is faithful and who can bring joy to my heart. And so I ask you this morning, what are those memorial stones in your life? See, it's all well and good. I can tell you my story, but you have your own story. You have your own experiences where God has proved faithful and he's produced joy in your life. I know they're there. And I would just ask you to consider them this morning. Right? Romans 8.28, a verse we know well. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. But you see, it doesn't always happen the way we expect. And it doesn't always happen 
in the timetable that we want or we expected. Right? What does Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 say? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, I think I know what I want, and I think I know the timetable I want it to happen in. But God's saying, no, you don't. My ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are better than your thoughts. My plan is better than yours. And that we need to trust him and be obedient to him. So that when we believe in the promises of God, it can produce joy in our lives. You see, I was pretty stressed out buying a plane ticket to go back to California without being able to pay for that semester. You know, our journey of starting a family was difficult and trying for us. You know, but in his timing and in his plan, I wouldn't change a thing because his ways are better than ours. Well, we have to hurry. Point four, we have the promises of the Lord. We have the obedience unto the Lord. We have the joy from the Lord. And fourthly, we have the blessings from the Lord. The blessing from the Lord. Verses eight through 14 says, So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham had a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of your son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abraham arose early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar. He sent her away, and then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So, it's been a couple years, right? Isaac has been weaned, so Isaac is probably around two, three years old, which would make Ishmael around probably 16, somewhere around there. And we see Ishmael scoffing at Isaac. You see, Isaac has been weaned, and Abraham is holding this feast in celebration. And Sarah's looking on at the festivities, paying attention to what's happening, and he sees this boy scoffing at Isaac. In fact, Paul gives us a bit of a commentary on this in the book of Galatians. 
in chapter 4, verse, verses 28 through 31, say, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, now we, brethren, as, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So Paul, giving us commentary on this scene, Paul says that Ishmael is not just scoffing, he's not just mocking Isaac, but it's a form of persecution, he says. That Ishmael is persecuting Isaac, the son of promise. And as we mentioned, he's a teenager at this point. He's well aware of what he's doing. Scoffing, persecuting this son of promise. And Sarah, no doubt, paying attention. She sees what is going on and she's, all right, all right. The boy and the bondwoman gotta go. Ishmael and Hagar, they gotta they got leave. This can't happen. And it says that this was displeasing to Abraham. Because you gotta remember that Ishmael is Abraham's son. Right? That's his boy. He's been raising for 16 years. God tells Abraham, listen to the voice of your wife. Quick point, men. Listen to your wife. Listen, guys, if you're married this morning, how often do we always want to have the last word in our marriage? Let me clue you in on a secret. If you want to have the last word, it's two words. Yes, dear. You know, we, we like to joke, but the point is simple, right? We need to be listening. We need to be listening to the Lord. And so often, the Lord will use our spouse. The Lord will use our coworker. He'll use a family member. He'll use someone in our lives to speak to us. You see, God's doing something. And Abraham's resisting for a moment. And God says, listen to Sarah. You see, this wouldn't make any sense to Abraham. Ishmael's his son. So to send him away with nothing but some bread and some water, this would not have been his first choice. But God has a plan. God is doing something. And so often the plans of God don't always make sense to us. They're not always clear right away. But God said that he's going to make a great nation 
of Ishmael, but that Isaac is the son of promise. You know, Isaac is... Isaac and Hagar, they're going to settle in the Arabian Peninsula, and Ishmael is going to take a wife from Egypt. And that Ishmael is going to have 12 sons, and those 12 sons are going to produce what we know as the Ishmaelites, who in part end up becoming a part of the Arab nations that we know today. You see, God has a plan to bless Abraham. And that brings us to our fifth point. The fifth point is the intervention of the Lord. That the Lord intervenes. Because it does seem kind of strange, does it not? That, that Abraham sends Ishmael and sends Hagar away with nothing but some bread and some water. That they're going to travel the wilderness with very little. Picking up in verse 15, it says, And the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. And so God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So Abraham listens. He listens to the Lord. He heeds the voice of his wife and he sends Hagar and Ishmael away with bread and water. With so few resources and those resources dry up pretty quick. And so we see here in these verses that there Hagar and Ishmael are on their last leg. In fact, they're ready to die. She says that she sets him by some shrubs and that she goes about a bow shot away because she doesn't want to witness the death of her son. That's how dire it is. I mean, picture it. They're out of resources. And Hagar basically sets her son down so she doesn't have to see him die. They have no food, they have no water, they have no shelter, and they have no hope. But God is going to step in at the 11th hour. Isn't it interesting how often God will wait until that 11th hour before he intervenes? You know, as I mentioned, you know, we have memorial stones in our lives. Well, out of those memorial stones, how many of those felt like we were running out of time? Right? And God shows up at the 11th hour. 
And I think that's because God will let us come to the end of ourselves. He'll let us exhaust all of our resources, all of our efforts, all of our strength, all of our ideas. It's like God is up there in heaven going, it's okay, go on. Keep trying things your own way. I'll wait. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul says we're not sufficient of ourselves Right, to think of anything as being from ourselves. God, Paul says that our sufficiency is in God. That we need to be trusting in him. Remember when Paul was caught up to the third heaven? And he says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, it's when we come to the end of ourselves. It's when we come to the end of our resources, what we bring to the table. When that is exhausted, then God says, okay, now they can receive from me. Now they're ready. You see, the reason I tell you that story about Bible college is because I had worked all winter to try and save up enough money to go back to school. I had done everything I could in and of myself to raise and to save money, and it wasn't enough. I needed God to step in and intervene. Here, Hagar and Ishmael are at their end. They have nothing left to offer. And God says, perfect, now I can intervene. Now I can work. You see, God wants us to come to the end of ourselves. God wants us to say, okay, God, I'll let you do it because I don't have the proper resources. I'm not sufficient in and of myself. And when we can come to that point and we can learn that lesson, then God can work. Then God can move. Let's come to our sixth and final point and that's the covenant before the Lord. The covenant before the Lord. So we have the promise of the Lord. We have the obedience to the Lord. We have the joy from the Lord. We have the blessings from the Lord. We have the intervention from the Lord. And now we have the covenant before the Lord. In verse 22, it says, It came to pass at that time that Abimelech, and Fickle, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I swear. 
And Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And to the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs, which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Fickle, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So Abimelech can see the work of the Lord in Abraham's life. I love that. Right? It came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. So here is this pagan king that recognizes that Jehovah God is with Abraham. I don't know about you, but I hope that I have that kind of testimony in my life. That people in my life, that people in this world can look on and say, man, God is with you. God is with you in all that you do. Is God evident in your life? So Abraham and, and Abimelech decide to, to treat each other with kindness. See, Abimelech's looking at Abraham and he's like, God's with you. And so Abimelech's like, I want to treat you with respect and I want you to treat me with respect. I want you to treat me with kindness and I'll treat you with kindness. We might say Abimelech is trying to apply the golden rule. You know, whoever has the goal makes the rules, right? No. <laughs> to treat others as you want to be treated, right? Abimelech is saying, I want you to treat me with kindness, so I will treat you with kindness. Paul says in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, right? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliest of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So Abimelech and Abraham make this covenant to treat each other fairly with kindness and they call the place Beersheba which means the place of the oath and I find this amazing that the testimony in Abraham's life is that God is with him and it's interesting that we see here at the end that Abraham's just kind of wandering around the area, right? That, that he plants this tamarisk tree in Beersheba, 
that he calls on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and that Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. He's just wandering around in the area of the Philistines. Once again, Hebrews gives us a a bit of a commentary on this. In chapter 11, verse 10, it says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham is waiting on the Lord, right? Our favorite thing to do, waiting on the Lord. Psalm 37, 34 says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you and inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Abraham has come to a place where he's waiting and where he's trusting the Lord, where he's walking in obedience. Once again, Abraham for us has become an example of how we should be living this Christian life. Waiting on the promises of God, being obedient unto the Lord, being joyful in our lives because we have faith and we have trust in him. We need to be waiting on the Lord, trusting in the Lord, having faith in his promises and allowing that faith to bring joy in our lives. You see, joy is the byproduct of obedience. You see, when we're obedient unto him and we're having trust and faith in his promises, it produces joy in our lives. So as we go this morning, let's go in joy, rejoicing in him and in his promise and endeavoring to walk in obedience unto him. Amen. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you this morning, God, for your promises, Lord, that, Lord, as your word says, your promises are yes, and your promises are amen, Lord, that we can trust in you. And, Lord, that we just need to surrender our lives unto you, Lord, to surrender our will, Lord, to surrender our efforts, our ideas, Lord, to surrender our timetable to yours and just to wait on you. And Lord, that we could be men and women, God, that rejoice in your promises. So that, Lord, that those in our lives, Lord, can say, like like Abimelech said, the Lord is clearly with you. Lord, we want that to be our testimony this morning, God. So we thank you and we praise you for your word this morning. Lord, would you go before us the rest of today? And God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. And let's just worship the Lord together in a closing song.